Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Social Conversations. A-teamers, uh, let's uh, welcome our A-team guest, uh, Professor Willie Tafadzwa Chinyamurindi, who is a professor at the University of Forte and head of uh, the Department of Business Management. Professor, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Patricia. It's always wonderful to be talking to you, especially in the month we call Africa Month. We are talking not yet, Uhuru, you penned down an article uh, that says, well, in Africa, we are not yet there. We are not at that place where freedom is a part of our daily lives. Tell us more about this particular article. The article comes about, Patricia, as part of the work that I do as an academic. I am funded by uh, the National Institute for the Humanities and Social Sciences, on a program which they call the African Pathways Program, where we basically travel to different African countries, find partnerships and uh, issues of collaboration. And when I was traveling one time um, between Rwanda and Uganda, um, I I started noticing differences between the, the countries I was traveling with. And in some of the countries when I left South Africa, it was smooth sailing, if you, if you know what I mean, Patricia. Easy customs clearance. I could easily move into the country. Um, you know, um, but in other countries, it was difficult. It was, uh, you were greeted by poverty. You were greeted by red tape at the borders of these countries. And when I started also studying the socioeconomic systems of these countries, I started noticing the... And I say in the article that we are different countries on the African continent who are worlds apart. That became so evident that uh, since 1963, when the founding fathers of that document, which we call um, that the, the Organization of African Unity, um, the idea was for the emancipation of the African continent, that Africans should now decide their own destiny. Uh, the, what we see in Europe with the European Union and all the other international body groups that may exist was the vision that the founding fathers have had. But unfortunately, that's not been the case. And so in the article, I start to pen some of the challenges that the continent is facing. And if you look at some of those challenges, the bulk of those challenges are mostly man-made, uh, a failure in leadership, and sometimes even the silencing of citizens uh, in, 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 in limiting their voices of expression against uh, taking their own destiny. And it so happened that um, Kwame Nkrumah, um, uh, speaking on the liberation of Ghana, would say that uh, there would never be, there can never be, a, a, we can never talk of a, a free Ghana unless the whole continent of Africa is free. And that was what I was complaining about, if you like, in the article, that we must now start taking destiny as Africans of our, our, our lives and our continent. And that's why the, the, the song by Letambuli, which has just been played, rings to me to say, not yet Uhuru. And I hope it doesn't take us another Africa day for us to keep on talking about the same challenges uh, that we are facing. Well, you know, the challenges that you have cited are no uh, surprise to any of us who are um, African because we live in this beautiful continent of ours. Mm. But the one thing that brings me to 
utter shock is the fact that we still have so many challenges and we are all trying to punt for economic, um, economic emancipation of Africa. And then we have the Africa Free Trade Area Agreement, of which it's not really holding water right now. It looks good on paper, but practically because of the red tape you mentioned, because of lack of infrastructure, because of political and social issues that are faced across the African continent, we are not getting to where we need to get to. So what do we need to start doing as ordinary African citizens on the ground to start maybe molding our present and hopefully our future will show forth as well? So what drives the economy uh, is, uh, are the political uh, structures and systems that we have uh, that uh, you know, uh, bring voice to what you and I uh, experience when we go into shops and buying products, like the politics of the country basically is, is manifest in the type of leadership that we have on the continent. I w- Tea that is uh, 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 derived from Kenya has easy flow into some European markets and finds it very difficult for that tea to get into countries on the African continent. It can only take um, serious, serious uh, reflection about the type of leadership that we have on the continent. We talk about, in some cases, octogenarians who are still in, in power in certain African countries. Uh, who are still willing to pass the, the, the mantle of leadership to their children as if this is just an inherited family uh, business, if you like, when this is the lives of ordinary young men and women being robbed and stripped away from them. And, 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 and I talk in the article about the sea of the, the Mediterranean Sea and how it is filled with uh, young Africans who have drowned leaving the continent to try and seek for better livelihood in Europe, uh, in in makeshift boats and all of that, and trying to get onto the other side. So the first thing we must address is um, putting our leaders, uh, holding our leaders to account. And that has been one of the most crucial things I believe we have often negated uh, in Africa, uh, this citizen engagement. And, And citizen engagement doesn't necessarily mean the, the, the people go and revolt and all of that. It just means putting that person who has been elected to be your voice in whatever structure it is, even if it is a municipal level, to account for what they are doing. In some African countries, what they are now doing is they are, um, they are introducing uh, apps which are, are able to um, alert different citizens around the things that are happening in their community so that their leaders are put into account. And we also need to strengthen also our electoral systems. And by, by this we mean that we must start addressing the challenges of faulty electoral systems, which are often manipulated by those in power, uh, to, to start having, if you like, um, open and more transparent systems of election uh, where uh, observers are not just sent to go and rubber stamp the ideas of whoever is in power, and the uh, SADC commission is sent to say, oh, go and observe elections in this country, and the violence is there, and they still come up with a resolution to say, well, the election was free and fair. At a, at a broader level, Patricia, I think the politics must be addressed, the way we select our leaders, and also holding our leaders to account. And through this, citizen engagement becomes a priority in which we can um, 
address some of these challenges that I pen in the in the article. You know, the citizen engagement would be one that would be great, and especially if it was at a broad level, as you have mentioned it. Um, Professor, uh, as we are talking, I'm just reminded about how years gone by when we thought of Uhuru, we were thinking of, um, you know, being emancipated from colonialization and apartheid system. And I think of a country, and I think the only country in the African continent, Ethiopia, that was never colonized. But you look at the woes uh, economically and socially and politically that Ethiopia has experienced. And clearly, yeah. it's not only the colonialization of a particular African country that impacts negatively on it, but it's also the leadership. If yeah. the leaders themselves have been colonialized, if the leaders themselves have uh, received some sort of uh, um, brown envelope or have been uh, benefactors of uh, Western or colonialized countries, then they come in and bring in such. How can we raise a new sort of leadership in our continent? Because that community engagement you speak about requires some sort of leadership and a new leadership, not what we currently see in the continent. Yeah, and, 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 and just to add to that, Patricia, one of, one of the things that's crucial, it, it would only take a person like Mo Ibrahim to introduce a, a prize uh, that uh, seeks to reward African leaders uh, for... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, practices around good governance and leadership to try and encourage them to to, to sometimes let go of power so that they, they can be considered for this. I always laugh at this because it's quite funny. But but but, but the, the, the the issue of leadership then becomes crucial. Um, I, I, I believe there needs to be a, a, a generational dialogue around the concerns between what would be the old guard and the new guard. The old guard would be punting that uh, idea of uh, fighting imperialist forces and the re-entrance of imperialism onto the uh, continent, whereas the new guard, which would probably be the, the younger generation, are, are, are looking at other socioeconomic issues as priority where they may acknowledge that uh, the colonial legacy lives within the system that they belong to but they really want to take forward the agenda of the development of their countries a step ahead away from that. And I think this is where it's lacking. But, but there's something fascinating that's, uh, that I'm observing, Patricia, on the continent. It's the emergence of this new type of leadership, this firebrand type of leadership that is emerging. For instance, we can talk of Bobby Wine in Uganda. We can talk of Nelson Chamisa in, in Zimbabwe. Young leaders who are stepping up, wanting to say, yes, we acknowledge the colonial legacy that we are coming from, but our people need to also move on and find new ways of expression when we acknowledge this past that we're in, but we also move away from this past and, and with its lessons and we move forward into the future. And, 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 and in another piece I wrote, I actually argue that we are going to be seeing more and more younger leaders coming to the to the political scene, wanting to uh, and pu pu uh, pushing this idea of the liberation of the African people. But their challenge is one. Their biggest challenge is the lack of uh, uh, muscle power, if you like, military power to be able to get into power. I think a person like Bobby Wine has a lot of attraction amongst the young people. But 
in terms of him challenging Museveni for, for, for political office, it's a tall ask for him, purely because he does not enjoy the, 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 the military support. And that's where we also want to address the demilitarization or de- the depoliticization of our military forces in Africa. Because usually these political forces, these military forces are usually aligned to the, to the, to the ruling parties. And the ruling parties are those parties that historically and traditionally have been called the liberation movement, who hold us sometimes at ransom holding on to this idea that we liberated you, so you just need to uh, uh, stick with that line of thought and not forget it. And often that stalls the development of the continent. Let's go to our A-teamer holding on the line, uh, Vuyiswa. A-teamer Vuyiswa, good evening. Good, e- good evening, Vuyiswa. Good evening, Patricia. Uh, how are you and your guest there? Strong, thank you. Yes, I think uh, for for me, uh, I I I put the the blame squarely on the politicians called the leadership of the continent, from those who 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 were in power uh, from the early sixties to the scholars at this time, as we are speaking right now, because they are good at uh, turning down articles when it's Africa Day. But they are the ones who are more colonized than the an educated person on the ground, because they have seen these things, they actually experienced them. They've got the resources, but what have they, are they doing to actually help this continent? Because I I I I I I I, I refuse uh, to 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 actually uh, agree that uh, I grew up in exile myself as a child, and I've seen the suffering. In the continent. Yeah, I arrived there when I was very young. I was like less than nine years old, and uh, uh, Africa was already talking uh, liberation of the continent, but it has not happened. That's why we're having this problem right now for Operation Tutula Xenophobia, and what if you should Africa have from the day one that speech, those speeches were spoken in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa, taken action against the colonizers who would not be having these particular problems because mm. people are hungry. Well, you, you, know? you know, earlier I was saying um, to Prof. Chinyamurendi that we want to step away from uh, a colonial mindset and doing of things, but our leaders yes. themselves uh, in the continent are getting brown envelopes. They are benefactors. Their children, yeah, even, go, even their children scholars, go to their, these countries it, to study. Even these scholars, Patricia, sometimes you find that you know this particular person is a professor. When you start talking Zulu or Kosa, it's Kosa or uh, any other vernacular language, they get so you know, so demoralized because they want you to speak English. Because they want you to express... So so how do we run away then? How do we move away from... From from finding ourselves in the colonial when we are saying we want to decolonize? You know, now it is the people on the ground themselves that must just revert back to the roots. We are not going anywhere with these politicians and these scholars. The scholars are the worst colonized, you know... Uh, people in Africa have ever come across. Some of them are, are in Europe, some of them are in the US. Those who are here in South Africa, they are even closer to the system than we, the people on the ground. 
So the people on the ground themselves have to change their condition. I, be, I, I believe when a philosopher of a certain prophet that I won't name now that said uh, uh, no God or no other superior being can change the condition of the people until the people themselves change their own condition. Forget about this leadership. Forget about these articles that have been penned. They, they actually close for us people on the ground when we want to contribute. They are there, they've got names, but what are they do what are they doing? And they come and write these articles, blame their own counterparts, the politicians, so they work hand in hand with politicians. So I don't mm. agree. All right. Yeah. Luiswa, thank you very much for giving us your views. We always enjoy hearing from you. Um, let's uh, go back to uh, Professor Chinya Murendi. Professor, weigh in on what Luiswa has said. Uh, very heart-touching. She's um, lived in exile. She understands um, the plight of African people, and she's also pointing it back to the colonialism. Yeah, I, 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 I do take Luiswa's uh, comments uh, Seriously, and I, I am. She's a frequent contributor in other shows, and and I, I can also follow the line of thought that she's developing here, and and, and I think that um, I, I I align myself in studying some of the ideals behind the so-called African Union that has been started, and one of the things that when I study the life of Nkwame Nkrumah himself, Nkwame Nkrumah emphasized the importance of um, of, of of an educated African. The educated African who comes to uh, to make solutions to try and help their particular context, not the educated African who is there to merely um, uh, uh, confirm what uh, some of the ideas that Lisa was 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 pushing for here or was was uh, expressing. And this educated African is an educated African who's also in touch. We're beginning to talk a lot about so-called African psychology, who is in touch with their indigenous, who is in touch with their psyche, who is in touch with their contextual considerations of, of, of how they live, the material conditions of their people. And that's what I'm arguing in that article to say um, the material conditions of our people must change. And one of the ways in which that must change is we are not saying people attain an education so that they leave the continent and they start speaking in as the part of the African diaspora. What we are saying is that the people must acquire an education so that, number one, they can find ways to change their own material conditions around them, but number two, so that even amongst those who are uh, modern-day colonizers themselves, we can find ways of beating them at their own game. We can find ways of... And, uh, putting African innovations as a priority, finding ways of using the very app-based system, AI intelligence that is there to actually push for this African agenda. And I can confirm to you, Patricia, tonight, I am not working with any politicians. The, uh, the ideas I am expressing are ideas I have found as I travel this beautiful continent. These are ideas that I express to my students. I am not going to be sitting in a class and trying to teach my students an entrepreneurship class about Richard Branson's uh, virgin brand when there's so many brand, so many uh, Africans, uh, Strive Masiwa and other localized examples on the continent who I should be pushing and, put, uh, and presenting to my students as fellow Africans who are doing well 
in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Well, you say let us get educated as Africans, and I do hope that that education will be pro-African as opposed to very Western. Uh, Professor, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your piece that you have penciled down, and I'm hoping that one day, if not in our day, at least our children or our grandchildren will be able to say we have attained Uhur. Thank you. Thank you very much, Patricia. Always wonderful talking to you, and thank you for this opportunity.